Thanks, David. Thanks, Ali. Good morning, church. There we go. How you doing? Doing all right? You should be feeling great because you got an extra hour. I'm assuming some of you got an extra hour, unless you have little kids, which you're not sleeping at all, so not much has changed. But uh, for the rest of you, we've got an extra hour of sleep, so we should have lots of engagement, lively attention this morning. I'm hoping for that. Um, well, we're continuing our series in Philippians called Life Built on the Gospel. Before we get into that, I want to celebrate something real quick. Um, last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, we had the Fam Fest. Was that great? Yeah. All right. So I was out of town. I didn't get to get to be here at part of it, but um, I saw some pictures and I heard reports of it, and it just I was I was floored. I mean, it was really encouraging. I heard uh, somebody did a rough count. Over 350 people were participating in FamFest. We had it upstairs, downstairs. This room was emptied out and bouncy houses in here. And then also um, about 100 people that are not part of our church had come to be a part of it. Um, so they saw a Facebook ad or got a flyer or something and, and showed up. So what a great way to reach out to our community. And thanks to all the people that put effort in um, in making that a success. So praise God for that. Really encouraging. Um, second thing is... Um, the deadline to register for the men's retreat is actually today. So not in the next couple of days, it's actually today. So fellas, um, if you want to have your world rocked, your life changed, um, most of you should make it back alive. Um, so if you want an adventurous experience with other dudes in this church, then sign up for the men's retreat, do it today. You can even do it now during the sermon and no one will judge you. Um, so we'll do it right now. If you go to ctkcincy.com slash the public, and there's a link in there to register for the men's retreat, do it today because after tomorrow, that door will be closed forever and you'll miss out on a once in a lifetime opportunity to hang out with some great dudes. So do that today. All right. Today we are talking about anxiety. So this is a condition that was only experienced in the ancient world. Uh, so I apologize if I'm going to bore you today with some things that are not really relevant to modern life. Um, no, seriously, we were already living in anxious times before COVID came along. So it's, uh, this is definitely something that is really relevant to us now. Uh, the dictionary definition of anxiety, according to uh, MacBook computer, is this. Anxiety is the uneasiness of mind respecting some uncertainty or a restless dread of some evil. That's how the, the dictionary in my computer defines anxiety. Now, there's a, a root, a Latin root of this word, and it's the same root as angst or anguish, same related word. So it has the connotation of something being constricted or squeezed or choked. It's a painful experience, right? So anxiety can manifest physically with like things like a rapid heart rate, you know, shortness of breath, and it, is, it can be this squeezing feeling that you feel in your chest or in your throat. In a Bible lexicon, uh, anxiety is defined this way. Anxiety is a vague, unpleasant emotion akin to worry that is experienced in anticipation of some usually ill-defined misfortune. So there's this thing out there. It's, it's a thing that could happen in the future, some bad outcome that you are afraid of, that you dread, and anxiety is the feeling that you have as you anticipate that potential bad outcome. So anxiety is, is, is sort of a fixation 
on all the various bad things that might happen at some point in the future. So whenever you think about or are afraid of all the bad things that might happen in the future, that pain that you feel as a result is, you could describe that as anxiety. So anxiety then, it's not the same thing as concern. So being concerned about a bad thing, is, it's not necessarily anxiety. Let me make a distinction here. Bad things can and do happen in life. It's a, it's a reality of living in a fallen world. And whenever those bad things do happen, it can cause pain. And to want to avoid that pain is not wrong, right? So it's okay to say, hey, this bad thing might happen. I don't want that bad thing to happen. And I want to take precautions to prevent that bad thing from happening. That's not the same as anxiety. Anxiety is a different sort of thing. So, wise man once said, life is pain, kindness, and anybody who says differently is selling something. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Thank you, Gina, the one person in the room that has seen The Princess Bride. All the rest of you, go watch it. It's great. But, <laughs> but life is, like, there's pain in life, and so we want to avoid that. So uh, wisdom requires us then that we would anticipate problems. We would anticipate things that could go wrong and to detect danger and reasonably prepare for those things. So you can be concerned about your health and change your diet or exercise, and that's, that's a concern. That doesn't necessarily mean anxiety. Or you can be concerned that you won't have enough money to pay your bills, and so you can change your spending habits or try to save up money. That's not the same thing as being anxious. So Christians can have a healthy concern about bad things that could happen and take measures to prevent them. And that healthy, rational concern is at the heart of wisdom. But anxiety is different because anxiety is inherently irrational. The anxious man or woman can become overly fixated and emotionally controlled by an irrational fear. And that, that irrational fear is one that denies God's power or God's love. I want to read to you, before we get into Philippians, I want to read to you uh, from Matthew chapter 6, because Jesus, Jesus teaches about this so powerfully. Jesus, Ma, this is Matthew chapter 6. I want to read verse 25 and following. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now listen to what Jesus says here about the heart of God towards us. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, 
saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, priority here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. There's the future. What bad things might happen in the future, right? Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So anxiety is what happens when normal concerns, they get amplified and exaggerated due to a lack of faith. You know, Jesus said, you have little faith. They get amplified and exaggerated due to a lack of faith. So the anxious person lives as though God doesn't control the future or God doesn't care about you. God doesn't care about your future. And it's all due to a lack of faith. And so for us as Christians, the antidote for anxiety is always a stronger faith. And it's applied to the source of your anxiety. And that's what we're going to see today in our text in Philippians. We're going to look at trusting Jesus and his work in the gospel as the antidote to anxiety. So let's dig in. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to uh, start reading here in verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. So let me give you a few points here. The first one is trust God with your desires. Apply your faith to Anxiety regarding your desires. Trust God with your desires. We'll go back to verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, whenever you see words or phrases repeated in the Bible, pay attention to that because that's like an ancient highlighter pen or an ancient italics. It's, it's meant to stand out. So pay attention because it's being repeated for emphasis. So a chapter earlier, Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then here a chapter later, Philippians 4, 4, Paul says it twice, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. So it's being repeated, this theme. And when he's talking about rejoicing, he's getting at our desires, the things that make us happy, the things we delight in. More specifically, what what we find pleasure in. So Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, King David said, delight yourself in the Lord And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that's a promise, right? That's a promise. People who delight in the Lord above everything else will always be happy. They will always be satisfied. So if you delight in the Lord most, then you'll never run out of pleasure. 
Because God is infinite. He has an infinite supply of himself to give us. So if we're delighting ourselves in the Lord above everything else, we'll always find ourselves being happy. We'll always be delighted and satisfied because he's the source of pleasure. A relationship with God himself is what he most wants to give. That's why Jesus died and rose again so that we can be reconciled to God and be in fellowship with God forever. And so it's a part of our design that God knows us better than we do that we would be most fulfilled and most satisfied in him, in this relationship with him. So whenever you experience these high levels of anxiety, pay attention because the anxiety is revealing what it is that you're rejoicing in. The anxiety is, a, is an indicator to your heart of, of what it is that you're delighting in, what, what, what you're afraid of losing. So to put it another way, your anxiety can show you where your faith is weak and where you need to trust the Lord more, where you need to apply your faith to uh, your anxiety. So are you anxious about money? If you're anxious about money, we can laugh. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's always a great thing about baby dedication. Sonny got a lot of extra kids in here and it's just, it's wild. That's fun. It's, it's wonderful. No problem at all. So are you anxious about money? If you're anxious about money, then you can concentrate your prayers and attention on delighting in God as the provider. Are you anxious about a relationship? Well, you can concentrate and focus your prayers and attention on delighting in God as the one who reconciles, who repairs relationships. And so the Christian life, as we're applying our faith in these areas of the unknown, faith is always an adventure. It always involves trusting God for a future that is unknown and uncertain with things that are beyond our control. You know, for me, whenever, whenever I feel anxious, there's, there's almost always something obvious on the surface that is the trigger of the anxiety. And then there's another thing that's a little bit harder to detect that's going on underneath. And that deeper thing that's going on uh, below the surface, that often it's, 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 it's causing anxiety because it's become a functional savior. It's something that I think that I can't live without. So for, for me, one of the things that I can feel anxious about is just being too busy. There's too many things going on, and I feel like I'm not going to be able to keep track of everything. And so if I got a lot of stuff going on, I feel like I can't keep up, then I can get anxious because I'll worry that I'll forget something big or that I'll not be able to follow through with something important. And then I'll end up dropping the ball, and I'll do a bad job, and I'll let people down, and that, that triggers anxiety in me. I don't like that. So that anxiety, it reveals what I'm delighting in. It, it reveals something that I've got my hope set in. And, and for me, the, I, delight, I delight in being the guy who's always reliable. I delight in being the guy who follows through. You can depend on me. I, that, that brings me pleasure to be that sort of person, that, to, to, to be known as somebody that follows through. And whenever I'm too busy and I'm worried I'm not going to be able to follow through, then my anxiety can manifest in stress or, or fear or just doing too much, working too much. So I enjoy these things, uh, the feeling of accomplishment, even if it stresses me out and it causes this, this, this dissonance, right, this pain, so there's the surface issue. The surface issue is too much going on. I'm overcommitted, too busy. But the deeper issue is I kind of like that. 
You know, I kind of get a thrill out of that. It's, it's kind of fun to be the person who's, who's in demand. You know, it's like that, that's, that's an enjoyable thing that indicates a lack of faith on my part because I'm trusting in myself for something only God can provide, and that's not healthy. So whenever I can't keep up with everything and I feel anxious, and there's these feelings like, what if I forget to respond to that text what if I'm unprepared for that meeting? Or what if I'm missing some key information that I need to research more to solve this problem I'm working on? What if I make a decision that is the wrong decision and it, and it hurts people? It's like those things are, you know, real things, but they can be a manifestation of a lack of faith. So for me, uh, trusting God is I have to trust God and let some things go. Being Mr. Reliable is not going to make me happy. Only Christ can do that. And so I need to not delight in being a sort, certain kind of person, but I, I need to delight in, in Christ for, for him to be the source of my pleasure. Not that it's wrong to be reliable or even wrong to enjoy being reliable, but it's wrong for that to be the controlling interest over my whole life. It's, it's an irrational thing for that to become so large that it, it dominates my emotional life. And that's the way anxiety is. I mean, anxiety distorts our perception, and it leads us to do irrational things, to think irrational thoughts. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice in the Lord. He's amplifying it. He's, he's shouting it. He's saying, hey, rejoice in God. Delight in God. Be satisfied most fully in God. King David said, delight yourself in the Lord. Let God be the source of your joy. And, and as I've prayed through these things, I've seen the Lord bring about repentance in my life. And I've, I've, I've tried to be better at letting things go. And I'm still working on that. The point is this, is that, that to overcome anxiety, we need to be able to, to delight in something that's better than the thing that we're anxious about. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord more than we're delighting in whatever it is that we're anxious about. Here's the second point. Trust God with your thoughts. So the first one, trust God with your desires. Here's another one. Trust God with your thoughts, your thought life. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word reasonableness is a word that doesn't quite have a sufficient English translation of the original. So if you, if you have a different translation of the Bible, my English Standard Version says reasonableness there could be any number of different words that different translations of the Bible will have. And they all reflect the fact that this is a difficult word to translate. But I'll give you some of the other, other senses of the word. It can mean tolerant, fair, fitting, forbearing, gracious. But all of these things go together with a, a, a state of mind that is uh, lucid, rational. So the word reasonableness can include all those things, and the cognitive aspect of it is, is irrational. It means keeping a level head, uh, having emotional self-control. And anxiety tends to do the opposite, right? I mean, uh, anxiety tends to cause us to lose control and to be less rational. We can be less calm, less level-headed when we're anxious. And since anxiety tends to live more in the heart than in the head, right? It's an emotional thing oftentimes that it's a feeling, it's an emotional response to something that we perceive as a threat. We're afraid of losing something that we value. We're afraid of some bad thing that's painful. 
That's, that, that often is more of an emotional process than a cognitive process, but we still think about it. You can't totally divorce the two. And so what anxiety does is it exaggerates our perception of that threat or danger. It makes it seem bigger than it is, or if it does happen, worse than it would actually be, or, or the outcome more unbearable than it would actually be. And so it takes our fear of pain and it blows it out of proportion, and it, and it distorts our reality. And so we end up reacting emotionally rather than rationally. I mean, as human beings, we're emotional creatures, right? I mean, God made us this way. It's a, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to be emotional people. And that, that sort of different perspectives that we have, the different ways that we think and operate in the world and the emotion and how that, how that uh, affects different people, that's, that's part of the wonder of, the, of being human. God made us that way. So we're not purely rational creatures like robots. Our thoughts always involve these emotional processes. But it is helpful whenever we're able to identify what's going on so that way we can make sure that we're living according to what is true and real and not according to a a distortion that our emotions are bringing to the table. Paul says, let your reasonableness be made known. I've been reading this uh, leadership book that is really helpful. It's not by a Christian author, and so there's a lot of stuff in it that, um, you know, that I don't agree with, but the, some of the basic, there's a lot of wonderful insights in it. Um, but one of the things he talked about is how anxiety affects the brain. Now, I don't know brain stuff. I mean, some of you science-y, medicine-y people know this better, but uh, that made sense when I read it. So there you go. I'll, I'll just share the insight that he, that he shared. But the author was saying that the brain processes emotional factors and data simultaneously. And he said it's kind of like a driver training car, you know, like these uh, driver's ed cars. You know, you've got, you know, on the passenger side, the guy will have a brake and a steering wheel too in case he needs to take control. Um, So it's like uh, the brain is like a driver training car. You have two sets of controls. And so normally, the cortex does all of the steering, and that's the data part of the brain, more the the cognitive, rational part of the brain. But then whenever our anxiety gets running really high, the emotional part of the brain takes over. So it's like the instructor, you know, taking the wheel and, and starting to control the vehicle. And so whenever that happens, the emotional part of the brain in high anxiety situations, it takes over, but the cortex, the the rational part of the brain still thinks it's in charge. So you may not always be aware that you've given yourself over to this emotional process. You still think you're being rational, but you're not. You're you're reacting emotionally, but you think you're reacting rationally. And so whenever this happens, practically, anxiety can make us think and behave irrationally without even realizing it. Because our rational brain still thinks it's in charge. And then he says, this shows up blatantly with highly intelligent people, such as yourselves, highly intelligent people, <laughs> whose brilliance, instead of serving them well, will function, to, to, serving them well to function in more healthy ways, actually seems to intensify their unhealthy ways of thinking and relating. So you've got this, this really smart brain that is that is operating in the world thinking that they're being rational, but really the emotional process is taken over and behaving irrationally. And so the high IQ and the intelligence of the, of, the, of the intelligent person ends up serving those irrational purposes. I think anecdotally we can see that that happens, right? Whether or not the brain science and all that stuff is true, 
David, you can tell me later uh, if that's true. But, um, but, that, but anecdotally, we've, we've seen this. Um, we've seen how this works to where anxiety can tend to make people crazy. And all of us, nobody's immune. Uh, whether you're, you know, however smart you are, anxiety can make you crazy. Even if you're smart, Paul says, verse 5, let your reasonableness be made known, which means that there is a, there is a need for Christians to, to be aware of the fact that sometimes we can just give our heart over to, uh, or give the control of our life over to these irrational emotions, and that's not good. Let our reasonableness be made known. And just to be aware that anxiety can distort reality. And now the verses that follow tell us a little bit more about how we do this. And he's going to tell us, you know, simply that we give our anxieties to the Lord with our prayer and our thought life. So let's, let's uh, look at the third point. Trust God with your prayers. Trust God with your prayers. Verse 6, he's continuing in the same thought. So if we just, first sentence, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then do not be anxious about it, uh, anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So now that's, that's presented as the antidote for anxiety. So don't be anxious about anything. That's the problem. Don't be anxious, but here's the solution. But in everything, here's what we do. With prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's the expression of faith through prayer. So if you're anxious, the remedy for that is to enter more fully into his presence. The Lord is at hand. We already saw that just a moment ago, verse 5. Enter more fully into God's presence to experience and to enjoy him, to delight in him, to be satisfied in him. Now, prayer is, is the way that we express it. Prayer is the spiritual discipline and the expression of it. But the trust part is, is really where, where we're aimed at. Prayer is the expression, but trust is the heart, where our desires are fixed on the Lord. So we said earlier, the antidote for anxiety is always a stronger faith, a more full belief in God, and that's applied to the source of our anxiety. And so we overcome it, then, uh, anxiety by rejoicing in God more than we rejoice in the thing that we're anxious about. And so that is expressed through prayer. Prayer is, prayer is, a, is, is a very simple thing, uh, but it's, a, it's not an easy thing, right? I mean, prayer is talking with God. There's a lot of different ex, uh, ways that prayer can be manifest, but simply talking with God. Tell God what's going on. Uh, processing life with God. Tell God how you're thinking. Tell God what you're feeling, and he can handle it. You can tell him anything. The Lord already knows what you think. He already knows what you feel. Prayer is the expression of it. So in this way, prayer is it's your lifeline. For an anxious heart. It's your access point to the God. It's like you're, you're, you're choosing to enter into this time of fellowship and union with God. It's, it's a say, time of saying, God, I want to I set aside this moment, this period of time to be with you, to be in your presence, recognizing, verse 5, the Lord is at hand. And so it, prayer helps, helps you to anchor your soul in God and God, he is the eternal source of all joy and happiness. He knows all your needs. And he has the whole universe under his command, and he delights to hear your prayer. So, of course, you can enter into that. You can draw near to God as he's already drawn near to you. He's at hand. And you can talk with him. So this, 
uh, antidote to anxiety. It's this genuine heartfelt faith that is expressed through prayer. Now, there's several words here used to describe prayer. You see the word prayer, but then supplication, and then there's thanksgiving and peace are these various words that are mixed in here. So like prayer, prayer can be as simple as um, silent prayer in your, in your head. It could just be a, a quick moment, you know, like these breath prayers where you're like, Lord, help me. I need you right now. That, that's prayer. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a moment of acknowledgement that God is here, that God cares, he's with you. So it could be a silent prayer. It could be an out loud prayer with your mouth where you're saying words. It could be prayers that you write down in a journal. It's like writing a letter to God or sending an email to God. You can, you can uh, write it down and uh, express it that way. But it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of God's presence and talking to him. Prayer can also be prayer from another person that you're listening to and agreeing with in your heart. It, prayers uh, can also be prayers that you read that somebody else has written. This is something I've gotten into a lot in the last year or two. Um, well, I've got a few different book, uh, prayer books from you know, various religious traditions, just because, or, or Christian religious traditions, let me make that clear. <laughs> not Buddhist prayers or nothing like that. <laughs> but um, I have a Lutheran prayer book, an Orthodox prayer book, just because I like uh, the Book of Common Prayer. I've, I've just enjoyed reading prayers that the church for centuries has been praying the same words and just saying, like, I'm, I want to join with these saints that have been praying these words for hundreds of years. I found that to be very enriching. Now, some may not enjoy that, but it's been very enriching for me. And so I, I, I enjoy praying these historical prayers. And, of course, the classic example of this is the Lord's Prayer. We see it in Matthew 6 and in Luke, um, where Jesus gives us words that we can pray with the church and pray those words back to God. Regardless of the particular form that it takes, what all prayer has in common is this genuine Christian faith, this, this faith in Christ that the prayer is expressing. The word supplication, that refers to the thing that you're asking for and you as a supplicant, meaning that you're the one who is, who is making the request. You are the one who's asking God, God, I, here's something I need. This, I'm stressed about this friendship. I need you to fix it. I'm stressed about this problem. I need you to repair it. I'm stressed about money. I need you to provide. I'm stressed about this uh, trial that I'm going through, and, then, and I need you to be with me in it. Supplication is you're telling God what you want to happen. Lord, I need $1,500 to fix my car by Friday. That's supplication. Asking God, telling God what you need. And one of the great things about that is when God provides, you can know that that was an answer to prayer, and you get your faith grows as you see specific answers to prayer. I think it's a, it, it's a good habit. I've, I've, I've started to do that this year, and I haven't quite figured out the best way to do it, and I'm learning, but I, I've started just to write down, very, when I have a very specific prayer request, I've been writing it down, and then whenever I see an answer to that, I'll go and, and write down, record the answer in some way, and that's, that's helped my faith grow. It's encouraging to see how God has answered prayer so many times. And I go through and I see so many different things that start to accumulate where God has answered prayer. And the thing that I was praying in the moment that I was really terrified of ended up working out okay. I think it's probably the way it is in so many areas of our life. The thing we're terrified about right now ends up being okay. 
and you can, and even if the bad thing happens, it's not as, you know, it, it ends up being something you can bear and the Lord is with you in it. Even that happens. But writing down our prayers helps because you're able to acknowledge specific things you're asking God for. So if you're anxious about your health, ask God for healing. If you're anxious about money, ask God to provide. If you're asking about someone's salvation, ask God to grant them repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. Uh, Thanksgiving, that's the proper heart attitude of prayer because it's, it's acknowledging always that we do not deserve even the privilege of praying. And so Thanksgiving is always this heart of saying, like, I'm not entitled to anything, and whatever I have, I receive with gratitude. Whatever you do, Lord, however you answer, I'm, I'm going to respond with a heart of gratitude, and, and, our, and Thanksgiving is a, is a marker, a characteristic of that prayer. So we pray thankfully, and then um, verses 7 through 9 um, talk about the result of prayer. So let's, let's look at this, uh, verse 7. And the peace of God. So this is after having devoted prayer and praying at the thing that we're anxious about. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So what does an anxious heart really crave? Peace, right? You want something that will calm the fear. You want something that will put your heart at ease. And that will tell you it's going to be okay. And what Paul says here is that that's the result of the prayer of faith that we're talking about. It's, and God will reassure you. He says it twice. That uh, the peace of God, it, it's, it's like bookends. You see it in verse 7 and verse 9. So verse 7, you see the peace of God. What surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the first bookend. And then verse 9, the second bookend. After all those things, the last phrase, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God, verse 7, the God of peace in verse 9. These are the bookends. And between that is a thought life and a, and a, and a prayer life and a faith that's trusting God. And you're, you're fixing your mind on the truth of, of who God is the truth of his care for you. And so the peace of God, verse 7, he says that it, it is such a peace that it goes beyond anything that you could understand. And that sort of peace will guard your heart and mind, guard like a sentry, like a, like a soldier. That peace of God will stand watch over your soul, over your heart, and over your mind. It will guard you in Christ Jesus. And so we need God's peace in both of those places, right? We need God's peace in our hearts, emotionally. We need God's peace in our minds, intellectually, cognitively. And God's peace will guard you. It will stand watch. His peace will guard you in those areas. Verse 8, he says, finally, and he talks about our thought life here. I want to take a moment and, and speak about this. Verse 8, he's speaking about our thought life, and he says finally, but finally is... it. 
that sounds as though it's a change of subject, a new topic, but it isn't. Um, it, it might be better to, to say that he's saying, well, next, or, uh, you know, here, here's the next thing. But finally, it, it's a continuation. And he says that we calm our anxieties through prayer and also by fixing our minds and our thoughts on the truth of God. And he says, here are the sorts of things to be thinking about. So if there's something that you're anxious about, I mean, you take it to God in prayer, so you, you pray about it, you, you apply your faith through prayer to the thing you're anxious about, and then you reorient your thinking around what's true. And he gives us a list. What is true? Think about things that are honorable. Think about what's just. Think about what's pure. Think about what's lovely. Think about what's commendable. Think about excellent things. Think about praiseworthy things. And what will happen if, if you do that? What will happen if you change your heart and you begin to think this way? Well, verse 9, you follow Paul's example and how he does this. And uh, the God of peace will be with you. God's presence will be with you. And this, this otherworldly peace, God will minister that peace to you. Peace that is beyond what you could understand. Now, imagine what it would be like to experience peace that is so powerful and so overwhelming that you, you were just like, I have no explanation for this. I have no way to, under, to begin to comprehend the sort of peace and rest that I'm enjoying in this moment. Paul is saying, that, that's, this is how we get there. And it's not a formula or a process or something that, you know, do these things and this will be the result. But he's saying, this is the type of life that if you trust God in this way, if you're, if you're uh, exercising your faith and, and applying it in, these, in the practice of prayer and your thought life, then this will be the result. The, one of the commentaries I read uh, preparing for this, the guy, Alec Boiter is his name, he said that the word for peace, English word for peace, it doesn't quite capture um, what the original full meaning of the word was. He said, and he describes the word, English word peace like a marshmallow. He said, the word peace is like a marshmallow. It's soft and it's sweet, but it doesn't have a lot of substance. And uh, he said, like, the, 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 the concept behind that word is this rich and beautiful word, uh, shalom, the concept of Hebrew, shalom, which is, uh, we translate the Hebrew word shalom as peace. But what peace refers to is the sort of peace that you experience in the Garden of Eden, or the sort of peace that you would experience in the fullness of God's kingdom when it has come. It is that kind of peace where there's, um, there's delight and fulfillment and wholeness, where everything in its right place, all parts working together in harmony, that kind of peace. The kind of peace that we will know whenever we're with Christ in eternity. And when he uses the word peace, that's, that's the idea that Paul is getting at and not merely the absence of conflict. And so ultimately, that's the sort of peace that we're trusting God for, and that's what we want. I mean, anxious hearts want that kind of peace, not merely the sort of peace that you have when you just take a nap to forget about your problems. I mean, yeah, you'll have a, a type of peace, but whenever you wake up, your problems are still there. But the sort of peace that can happen whenever your heart is truly and fully content that God is with you, that God is caring for you, that God's in control, and that whatever happens... He'll, he'll sustain you through it. He'll protect you. He'll, he'll be with you in it. That sort of peace to where you're truly able to rest and know God, God has this and you're going to be okay. That sort of peace, that's what we're hoping for 
And it's not merely the hope that things will work out the way we want it to in this life, but it's the, it's the hope of the eternal peace and shalom of God that awaits us in eternity, where everything will be set right. And that's the sort of peace that Jesus died to provide. That's what Jesus provides for us in the gospel, is this, is this peace with God, peace with one another, this eternal peace that lasts forever, where we are in God's presence without a care in the world, and we're truly experiencing the fullness of his, of his presence and his delight. Our hearts are delighted in him. Our thoughts are fixed on him. Everything is transformed and reoriented and prioritized according to God's kingdom. That's the peace that Jesus died to provide, and that peace is already ours. So you own that peace, Christians. That peace belongs to you. You can access it by faith. And that's, that's where we're, we're exercising and we're choosing to, to believe that is the reality, the operational reality of our lives, even though circumstances and emotions and things might, might tempt us to think differently. But we're operating in that realm. So you can enjoy a measure of that peace now. So if we trust God the way we're talking about today, where we're delighting in him and enjoying him, we can be less anxious. And you, you can be more hopeful, more confident, because your heart is delighting in God and trusting in him. And in Jesus, who died and rose again to give us that eternal shalom, the peace of God that will eternally blow your mind. Well, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have indeed provided this peace and promised this peace to us. We thank you, Lord, that it is not of our own doing. It is not something that we provide for ourselves. It is not something that we manufacture. We can't think our way there. We can't uh, merely will our way there. But, Lord, ultimately the peace that we crave is a peace that, that comes from delighting in you fully and from disciplining our, our, our emotions and thinking the thoughts of God and, and to believe the truth of who you are, enjoying your presence and expressing all of those things in prayer. And Lord, certainly, certainly there are many who are in the throes of some great anxiety right now and they need your peace. And Lord, I ask you by your spirit that you will strengthen them with the faith to believe that you are with them, you are present. Calm their fears. Help them to believe that you are in charge and that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. And that you are working all things out for good. So help all of us to believe that, Lord. Help us all, Lord, to experience that, that, that inner calm and shalom the way that we will know it for eternity. Help us to, to enjoy a measure of that now, a, a measure of it that is so great that it will blow our minds beyond all comprehension. Help us to enjoy your peace, your shalom in that way right now this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you will, you will apply the words of Scripture to the hearts of your people this morning that that whatever the thing is that is causing anxiety in anyone here, that you will help them to have the faith to apply, apply a greater, deeper trust in you to that thing that's making them anxious. And we trust that you'll do it. 
Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your concern for us. And that we have a God who is looking out for us the way you look after flowers and birds and trees. Forgive us for our little faith. Help us to repent of our anxiety. Help us to repent of our little faith. And give us great faith that brings calm. And we thank you, Jesus, that you provide this by your spirit and by your blood. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.